Well, good morning. Welcome to Ambassador Church. It's great to celebrate the Christ of the world. And you know, one of the things about Christmas is that Christmas is not an American tradition. It is really a worldwide tradition and how Christ has influenced uh, different cultures and how the cultures have been influenced uh, in, in some incredible ways. And, and even the traditions that we celebrate, some of our traditions like the Christmas tree, is not an American thing. It actually comes from Germany, and, and St. Nicholas is not an American uh, old man with a beard. He is actually a, a saint from, uh, I think, Turkey uh, in, in area. So anyway, all these traditions are part of what we celebrate. But the center of all that is Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So let's pray together. Father, as we look at Christmas around the world, that we see really the Christ of the world. You are the center of what we believe, and you are the center of what we celebrate. Uh, What a great uh, reminder that uh, Easter is about what you did, and Christmas is about who you are. And so we come to you, Lord, that you are the God that gives us these very things that we crave, things like peace, things like hope things like love, and today as we focus on the topic of joy, that true joy only comes from truly knowing you. You are the author and the giver of joy, and for those of us who are living our lives in maybe despair or discouragement, help us to look into that cradle and that womb of that story of Jesus being born so that we can have joy. And so we thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter uh, 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 39 to 45. Plus, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2. We're just going to do a little survey of the Christmas story, and especially uh, on this topic of joy. Um, The question that Mike asked at the beginning was the question, what was your best Christmas gift? Now, I think for a lot of us, uh, we've had different gifts, uh, and different gifts mean different things to us. Some of us love things that are handmade because it's very personal. Others of us love things that are are store-bought or or some of the things that that we've always desired. And if there's any time for giving, it is Christmas time. Uh, If you ask most people, uh, what is your favorite holiday, a lot of people would say Christmas because of the gifts that we receive. Now... One of the things about Christmas, though, is not only do we receive good gifts, some of us also receive bad gifts. And that's what December 26th is for. That's when we stay in line to return those gifts. So what was the worst gift you've ever received? Now think about this. If you think about all the bad gifts for some of us, uh, my bad gifts were always things to do with clothes. I would get like a package of underwear or a package of socks. And like, I could have bought these any other time. Why do I get it during Christmas time? Well, I read a story on, on AP News. It was kind of an interesting story about some of the worst gifts. Uh, it was a man, uh, Gary and uh, Carrie Clark. Uh, this was their second Christmas together. And so he was thinking, what can I give my wife? So he had this brilliant idea. For those of you who are married, uh, you got to listen very carefully on, on this particular gift. So he had this brilliant idea to give his wife bathroom accessories. So he wrapped a couple of gifts and waited on that Christmas day. And when she unopened her Christmas gift, what, you know what she found? A toilet seat and a towel rack. 
Now think about this. Toilet seat being your Christmas gift. And, he's, he, and they said this. Here I thought I was doing good. It was something that you can always use day after day after day. It's a gift that keeps on giving or receiving. Uh, the Clarks were one who, they, they responded to this particular thing about how they got this Christmas gift. And she admitted that she wanted a new toilet seat a decade ago uh, because there was a crack in the old one. She just didn't think this one would be gift wrapped. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever received a toilet seat for a Christmas gift, uh, but most of us, when we think about, you know, silly Christmas gifts, those are not the things that, that, you know, we think about. But for us, when we think about Christmas, there is a gift that I think is much more valuable than things that are material. Because every gift, no matter how valuable they are materially, will one day lose its value. For many of us, the gifts that we receive that are most meaningful are not gifts that you purchase at a store, but one that affects our heart and affections. This is a season where many of us probably experience some of our greatest loneliness. You know, if you've ever been in a holiday, maybe you were a college student or a grad student, or maybe some of you who are away from home, there's nothing lonelier than to be in a room by yourself when everybody else is with their family. And for many of us, even though we have families here, uh, Christmas time can be a lonely season. New Year's can be a lonely time of discouragement. And one of the things that we see is that, you know, the Christmas story is about God giving us a gift that is much more meaningful than something that you can buy at Target or Walmart or, or any other place that you go to. And today we want to talk about one of those gifts, and that is the gift of joy. Now, you think about the Christmas story, if there's one word that sort of kind of is amplified during the season, it's the, the word joy. We sing that song, joy to the world, the, the Lord has come, let all the earth rejoice. And we sing that over and over again because joy is inherently connected to the Christmas story. And today what I'm going to show you in this passage or in these passages is how important joy is. And this is the gift that Christ gives to us and that God gives to us through Christ. To understand the story of Christmas, you have to understand some of the background of Christmas. Um, the nation of Israel had been in darkness. God had not spoken for hundreds of years. And as, as they were under the oppression of government from all the way from Persia or from Babylonian to Persians, eventually the Greeks and now the Romans, I I imagine these people who were living in captivity. These people were wondering, when is God going to speak again? And if you think about the Christmas story, it's really the story of desperation. It's a story of distress. It's a story of, it's a story of sort of being in a place of darkness and wondering if God is even present. I think it, it, when you think about the Christmas story, you have to understand it from that context. These people were hungry to hear the voice of God. And yet, for many, many centuries, God had not spoken until this event found in Luke chapter 1. And we see that in this particular story that as the, the sort of the Roman Empire has conquered all of Jerusalem or all of Israel, uh, this new Caesar had taken over. His name was Caesar Augustus. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. What's ironic about this is this, that there's a new king. 
This king is Caesar, and he is in charge of everything, of, of, of basically all of civilization. And he, by the edict, by, by signing an edict, could command everybody to do whatever he wanted. And so he commissions the world to give taxes. And so in chapter 1, we see this Caesar Augustus. Uh, by the way, this is the beginning. Uh, we know from Roman history that his uncle was Julius Caesar, who got killed by Brutus. You guys know the story of, of that in the Roman history. But Caesar Augustus was an amazing man himself. He was able to create this, this period called Pax Romana, which was a period of, of peace. What's interesting, though, even though there was this sort of semblance of, of political peace, that the people, from an internal perspective, were still in turmoil. What's ironic about the story of Caesar is this, that in this story is another king. And in verse 2, this king is, is, is not from royalty, uh, from, from the Roman royalty, but it's actually from poverty. This two poor couple named Joseph and Mary lives in this small little city of, of Nazareth. Uh, if, you, if you kind of want to know where the geography of Nazareth was, sort of on the northern side of Israel. And he was a poor carpenter. We know that the Bible describes him as being poor because when, they, when Jesus was eventually born, they would make an offering, and the offering that they would bring were two pigeons. And only the poorest of the poor would bring that. Isn't it an interesting contrast? That you have this king, who, like Caesar, who controls all of the world. And then you have this poor couple who will now be giving birth to the king that will reign and rule all of the world. And that's the Christmas story. And we know that. And, and one of the things that happens in this Christmas story is the announcement that God, and we saw this last week in terms of hope, that uh, God uh, speaks to this little virgin woman. Some people say she was probably in her early teens, maybe 12 or 13 years old, 14 years old. And out of all the people in the world, God chooses this young girl to be the bearer of good news. And so we saw this last week that this uh, woman who was pledged to be married, she was engaged, by the way, to a man named Joseph. And the angel appeared and says, basically, you will bear this king. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, verse 35, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, when you read these words, if, imagine if you were Mary. How would your response be? For some of us, when we are given the news like this, this is not a happy news for a single woman who is pledged to be married. Imagine go, telling her fiancé that she's pregnant. What would he assume that, that happened? Of course, as any human being would assume, that she was unfaithful to him. And yet in the midst of that, this Mary had this connection with God that was so deep that she believed God for the impossible. In verse 37, it says this, For nothing is impossible with God. And then she responds in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be as you have said. And the angel left her. Inside Mary was this thing called joy. And we see this eventually amplified when in verse 47, she be, verse 46, she sings a song. And Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. This idea of rejoicing. 
And we see that not only is she the bearer of joy, other people receive joy as well. And so in verse 39, she visits her cousin who she hadn't seen for many years. Ironically, this cousin was a woman in old age. Her name was Elizabeth. And Elizabeth and her husband were barren, Zechariah, and they couldn't have kids. And, And God had already appeared to Elizabeth. And God said, inside you will be uh, the prophet that will come before the, for the king. And that prophet will happen to be John the Baptist. And notice the response in verse 39. At the time, Mary got ready and buried, uh, hurried to a town to Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in the womb. And I love this. And the, Elizabeth filled, was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There's something supernatural that happened between Elizabeth and Mary. And then I love verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Joy is intrinsically connected to the birth of Christ. That Mary rejoices, that even Elizabeth's baby in the womb jumps in joy. And the first thing about this story is this, that the gift of joy does not come from outward circumstances. The gift of joy doesn't come from just what is around us, but there is something that is deeply embedded in us. It's a, it's a, it's a Christian emotion. It's a Christian feeling. And to understand joy, you have to understand that, that really from a, a sort of a kind of an outward perspective, they shouldn't really be happy. Think about this. Uh, she was pregnant uh, uh, as, as a teenager, unwed mother, right? She, she was now in a situation where she could literally be killed. Not only that, there was a political climate in which there was oppression. The social climate was this, that she was poor and she was destitute. She had no money. And yet out of the midst of all that, that Mary found something that was deeply joyful, and that was her connection to God. And I think for many of us, we sort of mistake the, the, the idea that happiness and joy are the same thing. And, and let me just kind of uh, sort of give you a distinction that happiness is different than joy. And here's some of the differences. That joy, uh, happiness is, is outward. It's how we feel at the moment when something good happens to us. But joy is inward. John 16, 20 tells us, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. It is not based upon something that is on the outside. That God turns what is on the outside into something that is good on the inside. E. Stanley Jones was a, a pastor many years ago. He wrote this article entitled, Joy is a Christian Word. And he says this, there is something deeper than happiness, and that is joy. Happiness comes from happenings, but joy may be within spite of happenings. Happiness is the world's word. Joy is the Christian word. The New Testament does not use the word happiness or promises. Instead, it uses the word joy. And for a reason, many people are expecting happiness from following the Christian faith, that God will arrange happenings that would add to my happiness. When the things that happen do not mean happiness, some people are dismayed that God has somehow let them down. Why should this happen to me? They expect to be protected from happenings that make them unhappy. This false view leads to a lot of disillusionment. For the Christian, it is not necessarily protected from things that makes people unhappy. 
Was Jesus protected from things that made him unhappy? Was Paul? He says this, the Christian faith offers joy in the midst of happenings which people uh, make people uh, with faith unhappy. When the Christian doesn't find joy in the account of happenings, he can find joy in spite of them. In other words, what he's saying is this, joy is intrinsically connected to who God is. The God is the author. No, so no matter what circumstances are on the outside, that God can give us this reassurance of his presence in us. The second difference is this, that happiness is rooted in self while joy is rooted in others. Happiness comes from when I feel good about something. When you give me a gift, I feel happy because I'm receiving. Joy is intrinsically about not me, about other people. I, I love how somebody describes the word joy, J-O-Y. This is, how, this is how you have joy, he says. And I learned this when I was a little kid. You have joy by placing Jesus first, others second, and you last. Jesus, others, and you. And I think in many ways that's how joy comes. It says this in, in Philippians chapter uh, 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Joy does not come from looking at our own interests, but the interests of others. And that's where true Christian joy comes from, knowing that God had his interest in us, not because of anything we did, but simply because out of his grace and mercy for us. The third thing about happiness is this, that happiness fades, joy continues and lasts. John 15, 11, he says, I, I tell you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be.
8, there's a chorus, a declaration of God then presenting this idea of joy to the world. Verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And notice what he says. This is the declaration that the angels make. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The gospel is what brings us joy. The good news is this, that God has bestowed joy upon us, and that joy is wrapped up in that person of Jesus Christ. That when we see and and when we trust and receive Christ, he is the author of joy. And one of the things here in this passage that's important is that Christ gives us joy because of three things. In this passage, implicit in this passage, or explicit, is who Jesus is and what he does. Notice this in verse 11. Today, in this town, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you, that you will find this baby uh, in cloths lying in a manger. One of the things about this is that in this story, gives us the identity of Jesus. He takes away three barriers that keep us from having joy. The first barrier he takes away is sin. He says this, that Christ comes. He is the Savior. I love this idea that the three barriers that take away joy, number one is sin. That when we sin, that basically are separating ourselves from God and from one another, what ends up happening is that, that the immediate consequence of sin is the lack of joy, is the emptiness that we feel, is the hollowness. While sin, the Bible says, is pleasurable for a season, that ultimately it leaves us hollow. And the thing that happens to sin, and we know that the wages of sin is death, that when Jesus comes, he comes to give us the first thing that removes the barrier from receiving joy, and that's this. He gives us forgiveness of sins. The first description of Jesus is that he is our Savior, you know, the thing that I think for many of us we wrestle with is that we wrestle with our guilt. We wrestle with things that we have done that we're ashamed of, and we wonder, is there ever freedom from that? And those who have been addicted to whatever addiction oftentimes are, are, are so seeped into that, into that brokenness of their past that they can't ever let go. And here's the thing that God says. He will save us. He will break the chains that bind us. Because once we are free... We have joy. But the second thing that, 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 that true joy is found it is in our identification of who God is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And I love this idea. Today in this town, a Savior has been born. He is Christ. And this whole idea of Christ is that he is the Messiah. He is like one of us. He is both fully God and fully man. That we can identify with him because he identifies with us. You know, the great Christian story, the sort of the, the mystery of the Christian story is this, that God loved you so much that he became like one of us, his own creation, to take upon the penalty of sin upon himself. If you want to know how much somebody loves you, think about how much they're willing to walk in your shoes, 
to take on your guilt, to take on your punishment, to take on your sin. If you get a traffic ticket and somebody, or you've been sentenced to life in prison or maybe even a death sentence, and somebody walks in and says, you know what? Even though this person is guilty, I will stand in that place. Even though they deserve that death, I will die in that place. That's the depth of love that God gives to us. He identifies with, he is the Messiah. But the last thing about true joy is this. The third word is, is that he is Lord. Not only does he free us, not only does he identify with us as the Messiah, but he is also the master of us. He is the Lord. I think true joy comes from understanding that because of who Jesus is, that he controls our destiny, that the more we relinquish, and here's the irony of, of this, that the more we relinquish control of our lives, the more joy we have. The more we try to control our lives, the more depressed and desperate we become. And here's the message of the gospel. Jesus says, give me control. Let me be the Lord of your life. And when he is the Lord, do you know what happens? It's like, have you ever had when you were a kid? Uh, you didn't have any worries, right, most of us, because we had somebody else that had control. So as kids, we could sort of play around, and our parents had control. They were the ones who were worried about whatever. And I think that's the thing that Jesus says is true joy comes when we relinquish power and control of our lives, when Jesus truly becomes the Lord of our lives. If there's any gift that God gives to us is this. He gives us a sense of joy. That we don't have to know everything. We don't have to be in control of everything. And the more I try to control my life, the more miserable my life becomes. So true joy comes from who Christ is. He is the Savior, He is the Messiah, and He is the Lord. But here's the third thing about joy. True joy is never meant to be kept just ourselves. That the joy actually amplifies or grows when we start sharing uh, with others, that the gift of joy is, is when we are looking to God and his mission. I want you to notice something in this story, in verse 13. After they were given this great story that this Messiah would come to give them joy, verse 13, we see this heavenly choir. Suddenly a great choir, a company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another. Notice what the shepherds say. This is important because this is how true joy grows and amplifies. The shepherds then say, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told them. And then they hurried off. And then in verse 18, and all who heard it was amazed that the shepherds said to them. And then... The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things they have seen, just as they've been told. You know what the shepherds did? They were ambassadors. They were messengers. They were missionaries of God's joy. And I think about the shepherds really in, in, in kind of our job description. They return. They glorify. They praise God for what they've done. You know how we can amplify our joy? It's to share our joy with others. That this baby has been born who's changed my life, who's, who's made me a different person. That unless a joy is shared with others, you will never truly experience the fullness of joy. 
Hebrews 12, 12 says, Let us run with endurance, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That when we share who Jesus is and what he has done, that we are sharing the joy of Christ. No matter how hard your life is or difficult your life is, remember this. That God can replace the most difficult, trying circumstances with joy. And sometimes the gift of joy comes unexpected. You know, if there's any story in Christmas, it is this. That in the darkest moment of human history, God still loved his people enough to appear in the most humble way. Not as a Caesar on a throne, but as a baby in a manger. The Christian message is this, no matter how lonely, desperate, depressed your life may be, that God will surprise us with his joy. Let me conclude with one last story. Dr. James Dobson tells a a poignant story about an elderly woman named Sheila. Sheila Thornhope, who was struggling with her first Christmas alone. See, Sheila's husband had just died a few months prior to a slow-developing cancer. Several days before Christmas, she was almost snowed in by this brutal weather system. She felt terribly alone, so much that she decided not to decorate her house for Christmas. She sat there, alone, thinking about her husband, who was no longer there. Late that afternoon, a doorbell rang. And there was a delivery boy with a box. He said, Mrs. Uh, Thornhope? And she nodded. He said, will you sign here, please? She invited him to step inside and close the door to get away from the cold. And she signed the paper and says, what's in that box? The young man laughed. And he opened up the flap. And inside was a little puppy a golden Labrador retriever. The delivery boy picked up the squirming pup and exclaimed, this is for you, ma'am. He's six weeks old, completely housebroken. The young puppy began to wiggle in happiness at being released from captivity. Who sent this? Mrs. Thornhope asked. The young man set the animal down, handed her an envelope, and said it explains all in that envelope. Here you go, ma'am. The dog was bought last July while its mother was still pregnant, and it was meant for you for this Christmas. And then the young man handed her a book called How to Care for Your Labrador Retriever. In desperation, she asked again, who sent me this puppy? As the young man turned to leave, he said, your husband, ma'am, Merry Christmas. She opened up the letter from her husband. It had been written three weeks before he died and left it with the kennel owners to deliver it with the puppy as his last Christmas gift to her. The letter was full of love and encouragement and admonishments to be strong. He vowed that he was waiting for her in heaven, that one day she would join him. And he had sent her this young animal to keep her company until then. She wiped away the tears put the letter down, and then remembering the puppy at her feet, she picked up the golden furry ball 
and held it to her neck. And she looked out the window of the light. And she heard on the radio the, the strains of joy to the world. The Lord has come. Suddenly, Stella felt the most amazing sensation of peace washing over her. Her heart felt a joy and wonder greater than grief and loneliness. And little fella, she said to the dog, it's just you and me. But you know what? There's a box down in the basement. I, I, I bet you'll like. It, it's got a little Christmas tree in it and some decorations. And there's even a manger down there, so let's go get it. And she brought all the decorations up. At the end of the story, the point is made. God has a way of sending a signal of light to remind us that he is stronger than death, that light is more powerful than darkness, that God is more powerful than Satan, that good will overcome evil, and that joy will come in the morning. What a beautiful reminder, isn't it? That in the midst of the darkest moments of our lives, that God appears to give us joy. Amen.